All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. We're happy that you're here. We're happy that you're ready to start learning. Before we dive into this episode, you know, we got to talk about a few companies that help make this possible and some of the companies that we back personally because we believe in them. Now, first up is HuntWise. There's a lot of mapping software and apps out there, and the best one that we think is is definitely HuntWise. I mean, they've got so many cool features that some of the other ones don't have, especially this HuntCast that we use every single time before we go out in the woods. Our, I mean, our time is precious. we got to know when's the best time to go out. And instead of searching around on all the, the weather sites and checking out all the details, you can go right to the HuntWise app, put it in your location, and you're getting local wind, local predictions based on where your stands actually are, and it helps you actually choose the best stand so you're not wasting any time and you can get right in there and hunt that buck you're after. Go visit HuntWise.com. So James and I have shot different bows from different manufacturers, and we all, every time we shoot them, we always go back to primes the reason is they're just so shootable and we're just so accurate with them they're super stable and they just came out with the new revix 2 4 and 6 is their brand new bow for 2023 hunting season g5prime.com so next up we got vector arrows this is a company that has just blown me away with their ability to help the customer out. Basically, you don't have to go through and, and find your shaft weight and spine strength charts anymore. You don't gotta deal with any of that. Basically, you go to the website, you put in your draw weight, your draw length, your tip weight, and they basically build the perfect arrow for you. No guessing, no questions. And then you can customize them. They got a bunch of different options. You can shoot the HMR or the ZMR. These things are sweet and they seriously are some of the best arrows in the industry. And they've got a zero failure guarantee. So if you break it or bend it, they're gonna replace it. So if you wanna save yourself 10% on that, head over to Vector Custom Shop and use the code TFC10. There's been a lot of hype around tree saddles. Some of you might be hesitant to even try one. These things are awesome. If you ever wanted to try one, Trophy Line Tree Saddles make the best saddles in the industry. They're super comfortable, they're adjustable, and the new Venatic saddle, we were able to get our hands on it a couple months ago and it just seriously blew us away. So if you want to get into the saddle game, go over to trophyline.com. You can save yourself 10%, use the code TFC10, get into the saddle game, it's gonna change the way you hunt. James and I like to go tromp around on public land and one way we're able to do that is to have good footwear. Uh, we used to lug around in, in rubber boots, and by the end of the day, we'd have sore feet, and it'd be, it'd be a mess. But we finally decided to get some good boots and partnered with Lathrop & Sons. These boots are so nice. They fit your foot perfectly. They've got Synergy foot pads that are made to you know, form around your foot. These guys take the time. There's years and years of research and design and how to create the most comfortable boot. Go check out Lathrop & Sons. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. These guys have some of the best glass in the industry. Binoculars, rangefinders, spotter scopes. We love them. We've got it on our rifles. We use our rangefinder all the time. They also make clothing lines every quarter. James and I are practically wearing a piece of Vortex apparel every day. Everything is high quality. They come out with new items usually every quarter. So spring, summer, winter, fall, they've got new lines and new clothing coming out. Check this stuff out. And if you want to save yourself 20%, head over to Vortex.com, head to the apparel page, and save 20% with TFC20. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase podcast. Um, we're, we're finishing up our turkey series that we've been talking a little bit about turkey hunting. Matt, I'm Woo! guessing you're, you're doing some turkey hunting. And have you hunted yet turkey yet in Montana? Yes, I have. I, and? Did. I, hunted, I hunted two weekends. And? 
I got, I got, you're allowed two, and yeah. I got my two. Excellent. So well, I should have had, had you talked about Turkey a couple of weeks ago. That it, That's really, that's not completely accurate. You're, you could shoot five if you travel around. Right, right. One year I did that. I got the Montana Grand Slam. <laughs> that's a pretty sweet, that's a great year. Yeah, I traveled. The farthest I got from home was nine hours from home. You know, we had a real wide state. Yeah, yeah. Driven through it the long way before. Yeah, it takes a while. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't have that kind of time this year. Um, turkey numbers aren't always great here, but they're pretty good now. Yeah. Just for your listeners, it'll be, I, it'll be too late by next year. They'll yeah. be back they'll be back tanked again by next year so i hear it a lot i i have never i hear turkey numbers are dropping but I, i've not seen it by us yet we live in kind of a weird area i was or hunting a weird area we were talking ahead of time here but uh in upper michigan where there's just not a lot of people that go turkey hunting there um and so we've got a couple spots that they just always come to and so it's like it's great so i've, I've never seen a dip in it but i know i have heard that numbers are not great are they going down? I think they've going oh, down. Oh no, I didn't grade. mean that. I didn't mean that they were on the turkeys here were on a down, downward slide like they are in the southeast. Yeah, I their numbers are really good this year. That's true. Yeah, bit about by next year it'll be over. It was just like a joke, like that. I didn't <laughs> want, want more people to come through. Yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah, I get you. Uh, Strike uh, that. Are, are they in the UP yet? I don't know. I would imagine. I've never hunted them up there. I have no idea. I couldn't. I should know being like representing my state. Well, I've, I have no clue. Man, that the turkey situation in Michigan is fascinating. When I was a kid, there was one little bunch of them up by Baldwin that we would see. Yep. We had a, my, our family had a, a friend, a dear friend up there that lived up there. And we when we'd go up there, he would take us to see him. And they kind of hung out in the same zone all the time. And then when I got to be in my teens, mid-teens, they started showing up around where I grew up an hour south. Mm -hmm. And now they're freaking everywhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, they're everywhere. I see them everywhere. Uh, they, are, they are in the UP. I just looked it up. Can, according oh. to the Di Hunter's Digest, you can hunt them there. So... That's not necessarily saying that they're there, but I would assume they're in the UP. As the climate continues to moderate, it could be the next, uh, the the next best place to yeah. hunt turkeys, right? Yeah, it's it's like the new South is actually now the UP. <laughs> <laughs> That's a kind of a dream of mine to come back to Michigan and, and hunt turkey sometime. You yes. let us know. We'll, we got some spots for you. We'll bring you back no. to your old stomping grounds and uh, show you what, what's been happening uh, since okay. you left. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is the beginning and the, kind of the re, re resuming our story series. It's something we've been doing for like six months. For you, those of you who have listened, you probably uh, remember how it goes. Basically, we have different people on who have who I go in assuming that they have an interesting hunting story. Like, you know, we haven't talked prior really much prior to this podcast, Matt, but brought you on, on the assumption that you had at least one good story to tell in your arsenal. Um, so the idea is you'll introduce yourself. We'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
and then we'll uh, we'll talk about a maybe a good hunting story you've been a part of. So before we get into that, you want to say who you are, introduce yourself, what you do. My name is Matt Ronella. I'm a research scientist. I am an ecologist. Uh, my work focuses a lot on trying to put screwed up land back together, like not actually doing it, but doing experiments that improve the process. So figuring out how to get vegetation established, desirable na native vegetation established in places that have been degraded by mining or weed invasions or overgrazing. Like things like uh, garlic mustard, would that be a... Like yeah, a well, that would, be, that, that would be a, yeah, a Michigan version of the sorts of things I deal with. Out gotcha. here is more things like plants like cheatgrass that grow yep. not in the trees, but out in the prairie or other plants like that you have there, like knapweed and spurge. Uh, but, um, and then I also work on the CRP program a lot. You know, the CRP, you know, the CRP program? What's that? Yeah, yeah, the conservation yeah. or something yeah. reserve program, yeah, yeah. That was instituted as a way to protect highly erodible farmland. The government gotcha. paid government paid people to take paid farmers to take erodible land out of production and put it in perennial plants. And there's always been a push to get more value out of it. I mean, it's got good wildlife value. Mm -hmm. And these days, because of declines in pollinator insects, there's a push to try to get pollinator plants to grow on CRP. Interesting. So like that's, what? Well, anything, anything from non-natives like alfalfa and sweet clover yeah. to, to natives like in our part of the world, yarrow and blanket flower and purple prairie clover and echinacea, you name it. Interesting. I hunt a lot of, it's always a CRP field at some, at some point in the fall, I'll be in one. So, yeah. Oh. Is, does Michigan have a program that compensates, maybe it's run by DNR, that compensates landowners for allowing public access? They, yes, the Hunter's Access Program, HAP. So we'll, I, I hunt on, I've hunt on several tracts of HAP land. I probably shouldn't say exactly where because they can be pretty good hunting uh, if, if no one goes there. They could be, uh, yeah, the be pretty HAP. They, yeah, that's right. They're pretty, a pretty happening uh, spot. Yeah, actually, I, I do great for rabbits there uh, and lots of small game. There's no deer there. So if anybody's listening, want to go deer hunt there. I never okay. see any deer, deer hunt. They don't, they won't enroll properties that yeah. have deer. No, they, they go elsewhere, you know, probably in public land somewhere. So stay over there. I've grown increasingly concerned with the future of the sort of hunting that I've always been interested in, which is publicly accessible, non-pay hunting, buy a tag and go hunting. Yeah. And everybody should can be concerned about that type of hunting because it is in the the quantity and the quality of it are in free fall. And I could go on and on providing you concrete evidence 
about how that is the case throughout this country. Leasing and privatization wildlife are through the roof. You know, the more their land that's leased, the less that's open to publicly accessible, non-pay, banging on the door, bringing a guy a cake for letting you on type of hunting that has defined America for centuries. That is, that is declining. Crowding is increasing and has been for decades. You know, during the in, during the 80s, the decade of the eight, 1980s, there was something like 20 articles written about, academic articles written about the impact of crowding on hunter satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these are written by recreation planners, biologists, academics. Obviously, the effect is not good, more crowding, less satisfaction. In the most recent decade, there's been not 25 or 20, there's been 100 of those articles written, Mm -hmm. if that gives you any indication. So it's getting Uh, serious. It's getting getting way more serious. And then finally, so the big three, the big three that no one will talk about in the hunting sphere, because hunting personalities are responsible in part, in large part, for the big three. The big three are crowding, lack of access, and lost opportunity. And by is, lost is, opportunity- Is that like I leasing? Mean, yeah, okay. Okay, no, okay. Leasing, crowding, and lost opportunity. Lost opportunity is units that used to be over the counter going to draw. Mm-hmm bag limits being reduced. Those are the norm throughout this country. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I just finally got to a point where I, I, I couldn't take it anymore that nobody with a voice in hunting is at all seemingly concerned about it. They'll talk about habitat and the importance of habitat because they can argue that they're not negatively impacting that, although I would argue that they are. I mean, mm-hmm. because hunting promotion brings more and more and more people in, and it's making public lands in most of the country inhospitable to wildlife due to the intense hunting pressure. So, uh, so yeah, I have started... A, a little, I don't know what you'd call it, a movement, an information campaign called the Hunt Quietly Movement. We have a podcast, we have a Reddit account, we have an Instagram account, we have a Facebook page. There's You're a Reddit probably... man? Hmm? I said, are you a Reddit man? I've never seen our Reddit account. N- neither. I asked because I've never been on Reddit either, but it's I'm resisting it. I didn't know if that was like your, your kind of thing. I don't even, I don't have, I can't see our Instagram account, if, even if I want to, because I had the administrator change the password and block me. I, I, I just am too easily drawn into the drama of it. And yeah. I'll, we'll post something and then I'll be check, refreshing the page and checking <laughs> yeah. the comments yeah. every, every 10 minutes. 
Uh, so what I say that we do, what I've been saying, what we, what we do is we're, we're an information campaign. And I say we, because there's seven or eight of us now that are working on things on a consistent basis. The inf information campaign geared towards encouraging hunters to spend their time and money and direct their eyeballs in ways that align with the things that they value. Mm. And there's nowhere else for them to get that than, in my view, from us, because the alternative is our, our media sources that are contributing to the big three. I don't, I, not all of them. Some of them are just, some media sources just aren't focused on the big three. I don't know with you, with your effort, if you are or not. Now we, uh, we just like to hunt. And we like to tell hunting stories and learn about hunting. Like there's no, uh, we, we, I can't say our, our goal is to increase hunting. Uh, I don't know. We have, we just don't, that's not what we focus on. Um, mm -hmm. So no, uh, I, that is an interesting thing. So, you know, the crowding lack of access leasing and you do, you, you talk about hunting personalities, which is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you, you come from a family where your brothers with a very famous uh, hunter, um, is all hunting personality promotion bad or is it is it ones that are aimed at things that aren't telling you the whole picture it seems like you're saying a, a lot of times these groups are saying you know if they're promoting it you need more better habitat or, or this but you know at the same time maybe they're getting paid by the state to promote hunting x in their state which is you know you hear a lot about that uh, like wh how does that work what's a what's a good balance look like or can there even be one struck by someone who's who's kind of a hunting personality if you could find uh, or find one a, a form of being a hunting celebrity that doesn't involve shooting things for other people's entertainment mm. and using dead and dying animals to sell products, then maybe I could get behind it. Sure, but there's none of those. None. You can't be. You can't be. You can't be. You can't be a hunting celebrity without trotting out dead wildlife on social media and tv right yeah otherwise you're just walking around yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah so uh it'd be it'd be kind of tough but i mean that's what makes a hunting celebrity a hunting celebrity is their willingness to show you what they kill i it's so funny that you say this and i would literally look over and in front of me right now and i this was not planned can you see what i'm holding up is that backwards Oh, Theodore Roosevelt, good hunting. Right. So he wrote, and this is like, as a kid, um, I, I was big fan. I got to get the hunting story magazines, you know, even growing up, I read books like this. I love it. So that hunting. could be a good way. That could be yeah, one way. I, I asked because I, I wonder about a guy like Teddy Roosevelt, right? I mean, he was a hunting personality uh, in a very different world. He didn't have social media and who knows what would have happened uh, then. He probably would have been canceled. Uh, but um you know, that's why I ask, I wonder, and I'm like, okay, I, I see what you're saying, man. I, I don't disagree. I mean, you're right. It's harder to, I, I used to be able to go and ask for permission for it to hunt on people's lands all the time. You know, um, you go and knock on the door, like you said, you offered to do some chores or whatever. I've tried that, you know, I moved recently. I tried it again. I called you, you with the internet, you can call pretty much anybody that has, you can check how much land they have and you can get their phone number. So if you imagine with a good hour or two of your time, you can ask a lot of people, you can drive out to their house, whatever. I didn't get a single. Yes. Everything was leased. 
if it was at, at all open to hunting, someone had leased it. So I see that. And I mean, my wager is that that you that is at least I, I don't even have to. I know for a fact that is partly due to hunting promotion. Right. You think so? Yeah, okay. I, oh well, I I think of I think of hunting television and hunting social media as free advertising for people that want to commodify their <laughs> their their <laughs> game right. holding their game holding property. How could it be construed elsewise? There, and it's not it's not even an argument I have to make. I mean, the, the hunting industry admits that readily themselves. There are two hunting TV programs right now. One's called the Hunting Land Man. And one's called Whitetail Properties, where they show you, they 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 show you hunting, attractive hunting content, and then at the end of the show, try to sell you the property. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So it's not I like I have to. Use, I, I, I yeah. just discovered this myself. It's not even something I have to argue. They readily tacitly admit it. Yeah. You know. That's, that's so what weird. that's what hunting that is what hunting entertainment is is it may it may be other things but, but that also is one of the things it I is agree. that it I, is that well, I, I think it's i and, and again you see crowding like you see way more people in public land than, than I, I used to be able to go a certain distance out and i would be all alone because the, anybody that i would see would be the first couple hundred yards in the woods and you know whatever now there's guys like way back there, you know, every, always, there's always people around. Um, and so I, I see that. I actually think one thing that maybe isn't attributed to it, to hunting personalities is like, there was always the middle ground of people who own land uh, that maybe didn't hunt, but they didn't have a problem with hunting or something like that. I feel like that middle is shrunk. So it's either like you're all for hunting and you, you never let anybody on or you're totally against hunting. And like, I, you get chased off by asking, like, those are the only two that I would bump oh, into asking. There's no, there's no like, Hey, you can, yeah, I don't really hunt. I'm, I don't know. You can, I sure you can go hunt, just stay out of, you know, don't leave anything out or whatever. I used to have that kind of permission and I haven't gotten it in a long time. Oh yeah. So in the same way that so many other things have become polarized, like our yeah. politics. Yeah, I wonder about that. Our stances on reproductive health, our stances on the environment, everything you can imagine. Yeah, there's, there's very, there's, I could see where you're either energized as an anti-hunter or energized as a hunter more than just having a centrist view on it. Yeah, I was, I was at the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's. I, uh, I was at the, I, we get our, our food from like a, um, it's called a CSA. It's like a community. I don't know. Agriculture community share agriculture. Anyways, you basically buy a share in someone's farm and every week mm -hmm. you go pick up your vegetables. Right. Yeah. It's those are thing. cool. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. It's why we get all most of our food. Um, and so we, I showed up there this week and I just got back from Alaska bear hunting and this girl's oh. very, very talkative always and asking me about, you know, how's your week? I was like, great. And I realized I, I'm like, oh, I was, you know, out fishing and hunting for bears. And like the minute I said that, it was like the conversation <laughs> was like, she kind of like quiet, looked down and it was like, oh, all right. That's apparently the, the CSA pickup is uh, not the time to talk about bear hunting. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does seem like something that might not go well. Oh, I was like, well, I should have thought of that. Yeah. The CSA crowd. Yeah. yeah. But the, yeah. But uh, 
they raise livestock and slaughter them. They do. They right. really like the people that normally like the owners were good were friends with, but this was apparently a, a new newbie. So anyways, yeah. So that, this is an interesting um, cause. This is an interesting push. And it's, I, I wonder. Have you how, ever heard of, have you ever heard a hunting celebrity say crowding is one of the biggest problems in hunting today? I Would don't you, think so. In your experience, is it one of the biggest problems in crowding today? <laughs> yeah, that could be true. Yeah. Yes, so, it is. Like, Shouldn't somebody be pointing out that that's one of the biggest problems in hunting today? Yeah. You know? Yeah. (laughs) How do you fix it? So like, what's the fix for this? Cause like, I agree. I I would love, I would love more space. I would love more time and like less, I want to be alone. Like, how do you fix this? Do you you just tune out social media, which doesn't that seem like, I mean, impossible almost. I certainly do. I don't enjoy it's social media isn't good for me at all. I think it'd be way better. Your time is way better shooting your bow than watching these douchebags on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's in a trap. Plausible. I mean, my message is like if you if you really are in it for the hunting, yeah, not the hunting culture, not the hunting entertainment, then yeah, stop following these YouTubers and go do something productive with your time. You know, it, there's nothing to be lost. No, it's all bullshit anyway. And it means you know? it could be deleted <laughs> tomorrow and it would be weird, but it wouldn't actually affect your life other than you feeling uncomfortable because you don't have your go-to thing. It's it's very true. Yeah. And people come at me with all kinds of, they try to distort my arguments in various ways to try to make me look selfish and discredit me and all this. It's just so funny because... If I was trying, they'll say, you're just trying to keep it all for yourself, but you don't understand the barriers to entry for an adult onset hunter and all this stuff. I'm like, if I was trying to protect hunting for myself, there are so many better ways I could do it right. than, than being involved in what I'm doing here. I just yeah. go get a lease. I was just going to say, you get a bunch of leases. I go, go get a lease for myself. I, I don't have kids. I have a great salary. And I live in a place where the cost of living is very low. I could just go get some, buy up some hunting opportunity for myself. I'm trying to do something for the future, for the type of hunting that I care about, which is non-pay hunting, where you get something by your wits, not with your billfold. Right. You know? So, (laughs) yeah, I lost my, I lost, I lost my train of thought. No, I was actually going to say something about that too. It's like, it is, it is an interesting argument to make against someone whose only message in public has ever been one thing so it's not like you've got some hidden agenda uh, or anything and it's like yeah it's, it's just interesting and I, I think a lot of it ties to social media I, I can't say uh, there are a lot of good things that come out of social media although you know and like oh that's what it, I know what it was you mentioned low barrier to entry or oh whether- yeah yeah that's so that I yeah so here I'm a guy that my dad taught me how to put up a tree stand Right, and it maybe gave me some pointers on how to shoot a bow that weren't very good. Because <laughs> if I could go back and in erase from my brain any memory of archery and start all over, me too. Yeah, six months from now, I'd be a better archer than I ever. One hundred percent, totally agree. So I read maybe when I moved out west, I met I read maybe two hunting books on hunting out west. So yeah, this idea that you need these like hunting gods on YouTube to show you the way. 
and plus I will say this. So some of it is helpful, right? Some of it's sure, helpful. Sure. But here's the thing, like at this point in time, if you stopped right now and you didn't add anything to the library of content, I think you'd have most things covered. I think you've got plenty, like my point is like between blogs and websites and videos and it's already all out there there's probably nothing new under the sun that you're going to be adding at this point to uh to field dressing a javelina or some ran you know these random things I, i'm sure it's all out there the, and if, if that if if that's what the what what was is motivating these people it's not it's money and pain right. but the youtubers etc it's money and fame that motivates them. But if it was, if if if, if it, instead of that, it was a uh, uh, sincere desire to show people how to be a hunter, then there'd be very, very little need for dead and dying animals. You only when you're cleaning one would you need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good point. Yeah, I mean, if you wouldn't show it. Yeah, I guess that, it, that's an interesting point. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't say. I Randy Newberg, Randy yeah. Newberg says that when he shows like conservation footage and how to, mm -hmm. he gets zero views. But when he shows something getting killed, he gets a ton of views. So, so it's that. partially, it's partially our, it's it's our fault, you yeah. know. We're just well, it's the okay. It takes two to tangle. You know, the, the hunting celebrities are given just giving people what they want. But they also under, have to understand when they reflect that maybe what the people want isn't the best thing for hunting. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, and usually uh, the uh, fourth, a forethought or like uh, long-term thinking it, like that's usually not what people want and when they get on the computer or they yeah you know yeah, I don't think so anyway that's what, yeah so anyway that's what why i'm on your podcast right now why i have a podcast of my own is how's it going how's the how's this this cause going how's the how's it progressing where, where do you see you heading how is it i i don't know i i some days think that half the days i think that this is ridiculous and immature and and pointless and then i'll think yeah but so many positive things have come about through history from people that just said no this isn't right and argued for something fresh and new and then sometimes I'll get glimmers of hope. Yesterday, I, 24 hours ago, so that you can help me figure out whether or not this is something to be happy about or not. I put up a video of me giving a talk at the Pope and Young Banquet. Okay. And it, I laid out my whole, the whole Hunt Quietly agenda there wasn't I didn't do a very good job like the information was good but my delivery was kind of shitty I don't know what was going on there I just wasn't on you can't bet but, a thousand oh, yeah but but anyway um I am looking here 435 views where where is this on uh let me, let it's me on look. YouTube 
Oh, I don't use the YouTube very much. If you type in Hunt Quietly, it'll come up. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, yeah, so all it is a weird thing. Is, all I'm trying to do is get people to think from them, for themselves and dispense with the dogma that the hunting industry and the hunting media and the hunting celebrities have infected everybody with and just think for themselves. And I'm putting forth a set of ideas for people to critically evaluate. Critically eva evaluate my ideas, I would say, mm -hmm. as critically as you'd evaluate anybody else's. But I don't, I think there's a lack of, I mean, anybody that's engaged in something that's tenuous or precious, like mm -hmm. hunting is, you got to think that it is, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not a foregone conclusion that your kids are going to have the hunting opportunity that you've had. Right. It's just, it's just not. So there's some obligation to think through what the threats are, what the opportunities are, how do we protect it? How do we make it better? How do we pre prevent it from becoming pay to play European model of wildlife management? And, and my ask is that people, people think that through for themselves. Maybe people will by and large think, I don't give a shit all about, about all that. I want to pay 10 grand a year and have this farm dog, period. And then you have your answer, you know, but that I would rather, I would rather go metal detecting. Yeah. I'd rather buy beef and metal detect than, <laughs> than, than, than pay to, to hunt somebody's property, just a bunch of money to hunt somebody's property. It, it, it makes it like Disneyland hunting. It's not getting sustenance through your wits yeah it's just getting it you get to shoot through like your, your billfold your cow you know? like yeah it's i know we, we i used to play i used to play guitar a lot mm -hmm. and and i still play it once in a while but it, i'd be in college in college or yeah college or even after college be at a party and we'd be passing guitar around and playing covers and a lot of time I'd be thinking, why are we listening? Why are we playing this, these covers? Why not just put on the artist's version? <laughs> you know, uh, they did a way better job than we could do. And it's their artistic output. Why, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Because you don't like, get girls. If, I, if you don't get girls, if you put on the radio, if you can show them you know how to play the guitar and you're sensitive, you know, that's the only reason you play. anybody plays the guitar, I'm convinced. Yeah, right. So it's just the same thing. Like, wait a minute. I could go to the store and just buy all the meat I need for the year, or I can give this guy $10,000 and then go out and try to shoot it. Yeah, that's, it is weird. It, it's a weird thought. I totally agree. Um, I, it's the difference between like, I mean, you're not learning your, you're not honing your field craft. You know, you're not learning more about an animal, uh, which is that most of the thing, thing that I like about hunting. You don't have any crazy stories happen when you're, you know, at a preserve, like you have them happen when you're, you know, half a mile in the swamp somewhere that you've never been, you know, lost a boot. And, you know, what do trying to figure out where the, this big buck is living that you found on state public land, 
and, and took a long time to figure out. So yeah, I, I mean, there's, it's just like, I think at the end of the day, it's much less satisfaction for the, the type of hunt or experience where you just pay it. You don't do any of the work and you just show up and enjoy it. Like you said, Disney, or I think of like hopping on a, um, like a roller coaster. It's like three seconds of excitement and then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the counter argument is me. There are people that prop, they don't care about the accomplishment. Mm-hmm. They care about the experience. Hmm. So as long as something comes in and they get to whack it, it doesn't matter that they paid for it. But just, that's just not why I hunt. Yeah. No, and there's people too that will have land and they'll, and I, I can respect, it's not kind of my thing, but um, they'll have a chunk of land maybe they bought or they lease and they spend all year work in the fields and mm-hmm. making the, the habitat, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, I see it more as a farm situation. We've we talked about that a lot here. Uh, I, I can see why some people like to do that, that I'm not a farming type. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's not really the appeal to me to have a, a food plot and, and, you know, know my deer by name and and all that. But you know, whatever to each their own. Uh, but at least that, that way, at least you're putting effort into, um, effort into it. Right. Um, I, I it's just always, there's just lines, these weird lines that it's like, well, I guess that's fine. It's, is the line then you have to put work into it. That makes it okay. Or maybe that's just, you know, it's just, it's hard to pin this down. Yeah. I don't want to beat it to death. But one more, one more swipe at it would be, let's say you have a ranch, the, uh, let's say, a ranch right outside of town where I live. And this ranch land around Mile City, where mm-hmm. I live, is is become more and more privatized in terms of wildlife, more and more leased over the last 40, 50 years. More and more and more, less and less public access. So whereas if the ranch is open to public hunting through a government program like our block management program that's funded by sportsmen's dollars, maybe there'll be 50 people a year that hunt that ranch. And all 50 of them, you know, some fairly high percentage of them are going to go out there. They're going to do their own a little bit of scouting looking, searching, beating the bush, walk, hiking way back in there, looking, finding their deer and getting their winter meat. And it's going to bring a lot of people, a lot of satisfaction. And a big, a big metric to me is how much a metric I'm focused in on is how much satisfaction does hunting bring society? So there is one way, one one model. The other model is that that ranch is leased by an outfitter. And the outfitter harvests two or three deer off that year. Nobody brings out there is interested in shooting a doe. And they just want to harvest the biggest three deer on the place or whatever. And those three deer that are shot they're put inside, put it, the, the hunter's put in a suburban or a pickup truck, driven out somewhere. There's no hunting pressure on the place, so you don't have to hike anywhere. You just tiptoe over the, the 
hilltop and look down on the alfalfa field and there's the deer and the guide points it out to you and you shoot it. And I just think that that's like a lackluster experience. Yeah. Like it's just not nearly as way fewer people getting the experience and you've, and the hunter does the quote unquote hunter does nothing more than execute the shot. Yeah. Which is about 5% of a successful hunt in my view. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that. No, and I, I, I would agree that I at least personally find a, a lot more satisfaction in just figuring it out myself. It's like you shoot a lot less, but it's you also, I feel like when people look at it, we talked about this a little bit. It's like you look at every season as successful or unsuccessful based on the size of the deer that you shoot. And, and it's always like you, if you zoomed out a little bit more, you, I think you'd find a lot more satisfaction. And just like you say, where it's like, Oh, over these five years, I figured this out about how deer move in this area or what they, mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, it's suddenly then every season it's like, well, if I don't get one this year, at least I'm, it's actually not a loss. In fact, it's probably more of a gain because usually when you screw something up, you learn more. Um, so you zoom out a little bit and have a, maybe a bit bigger picture. It just makes hunting way more enjoyable, way more relaxing, way less stressful. Sometimes people stress, like you know, you talk about social media where people just constantly put pictures of giant bucks and now oh, I want a giant buck. Well, I'm going to pay to get it because I can't be seen as a lesser hunter than that guy. And I want to, you know, if, if you just take a minute and zoom out and think, well, actually it, it's not season by season and I'm not comparing with anybody. Uh, I, I think, you know, to your, to what you're saying, satisfaction would go way higher. I think that would probably apply to most things in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know how you do it, but I don't know the, if it's even possible. What I'm trying to do is preserve a system where people can, without putting a bunch of money in it, can work their ass off and have positive hunting experience and enjoy mm-hmm. a little success once in a while yep through blood sweat and tears you know yeah. yep and and i i would you know i can't say i i i'm totally for like I, I use the internet all the time to learn things about hunting right I, my dad hunted uh but he's not like a like you know a, a huge hunter so i learn a lot um but at the same time i i would totally agree with we need just to take a step back. Like it's too much comparison, too much glorification of the wrong thing. That's flashy stuff with no substance. Um, a lot of the time. Yeah. It's, it's it, big shot hero type. It's cotton candy. Stuff I've killed. Yeah. No background. These people aren't better hunters. They just have to get cherry hookups. You yeah. know, I want to, you know who I want the big shots and the heroes and the, and the, the people that everybody bends down to and kisses their hand and what, people work on access. How about that? Hmm. You know, that's what, that's what a champion is to me. We don't need more how to content. We need more access. Hmm. Yeah. I even, I, another thing I'm involved with is that we started a nonprofit here. Uh, some friends of mine and I called, Hunters for Access. It was called Montana Hunters for Access, but we just changed the name because other state, another, at least one other state's picking up on it. But your map, or what's it called? HAP. HAP, HAP program. Yeah. Yep. So with, with our program like that, we 
raise money for appreciation gifts for landowners oh, yeah, that are enrolled in, the pro, in, yeah. the, in the program. And we also do work days on the participating properties, fix and fence. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm seeing the, the map. That Picking up trash. Yeah. You know, scouting for weeds, what what have you. So how is it that that I'm I'm doing something more for for access than the vast majority of hunting celebrities? How is that? Like it's not my it's, I'm not a, I'm not a hunting celebrity. I'm not I mean I'm not basing my existence around hunting, my my livelihood. Doesn't it seem like people in the hunting sphere would the mainstream hunting celebrities they'd be the ones that are carrying the torch for access? I don't get that. Yeah, strange. It's hard work though. I mean, it's not very Instead uh... they instead they instead they Perhaps, perhaps unintentionally, and in a lot of cases intentionally, make ask access harder. Yeah. Yep. So I don't yeah. know, there's just a lot to be frustrated about with hunting media and hunting culture. So <laughs> in light of all this, and I'm now I'm gonna ask you to tell a hunting story, and I'm nervous to tell you to tell anything with like you shooting a massive buck at the end. Oh. I feel like it has to be very humble in order to really stay on, you know, brand here. <laughs> I don't want to be like, I don't want to make, make it be like, I'm some kind of grumpy old troll. <laughs> Just, you know? <laughs> crotchety old man. Yeah. Uh, where I'm so principled that I wouldn't even tell a, a hunting story because that's just hunting I mean, it, 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 that's the not, best part some of the best part of hunting is the great hunting story you know i would be maybe that's what hunting media should be is written stories or oral stories i could get beyond behind that i could get behind maybe that would be an improvement if it was just written stories with a but not maybe a moral it. message or a conservation message or an access message i don't know what the the weird what, line to find yeah there's got to be there's got to be some kind of hunting media i just don't it, it, the, the kind that would serve the sportsman yeah that's concerned with publicly accessible non-pay hunting it, the model for hunting media it, it would have to be if if it was going to be beneficial to that kind of hunter it would have to be way different than what it actually is that yeah. i feel confident Agreed. i don't know yeah. what the... sure so a hunting story um about four years ago i think it was it was either three or four springs ago i think it was spring of 20 my brother I have a brother that lives in Anchorage. He was down. And a friend of mine, the three of us, we went up this river in my boat looking for turkeys. And I never you just go in... up and gobble for them, like as you're taking the boat up, or would you get out in spots or how'd you do that? Well, we went up and set up a camp. We boated okay. up about 10 miles from this this put-in spot and set up a camp. 
in this area that there were some public islands and a chunk of BLM. And yeah. Where the, where there was a little bit of public, there was some undeeded. Out here, there's sometimes there'll be some undeeded property, like accreted land or old river channel. Yep. And we hunted for a few days, and one day I drop those two, these two guys on the upstream end of this island, and I putted down to the downstream end and parked my boat. I took the anchor out of the boat and kind of worked it into the gravel and went in the woods 20 yards and was just sitting there waiting for him. And then, and they came down and we walk out to get in the boat and the boat is about 200 yards downstream had come off that out of the, off the bank <laughs> and the anchor hung up on some rocks. And this thing is, it's just bucking. It's out and it's just, it is, the boat is, looks like it could sink at any second. <laughs> what kind of boat is it? It's a, a flat by 18 foot flat bottom. Okay, sure, sure. Okay. With, a, yeah. with a mud motor on it, one of those long tail mud motors. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out what we're going to do about this. And it very much feels like we're, I'm towing was trying to swim down there. And my yeah, brother's right. like, you my brother's like, you are not swimming down there. That water, <laughs> the water's freezing cold. Um, so we start trying to wade off the island. Oh, Jim Waders? No. Okay, of course. No, right. but yeah. And that doesn't seem to be happening. So we call search and rescue. <laughs> oh no. So our but our camp is downstream about two miles from this island. Mm -hmm. And search and rescue, there they tell us they come and get us, but not till the next day. Uh, shoot. <laughs> and so now we're really motivated to get off this island. Yeah. And we start looking, 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 looking. And finally, I find a spot where uh, I'm, I'm neck deep. Well, not neck deep, maybe boob deep. And I'm able to get across and these two come across um, and we had my dog with us too, but she's just a, she's a Corgi. She only weighs 23 pounds. So we just put her in, the, you know, in a backpack or yeah. Yeah. My brother put her in a backpack. So she, uh, and uh, we start walking down the bank to camp and the boat is gone. And, which was not surprising to any of us right because it was it was gonna it was gonna sink any second when we last saw it when the, you know we lost track because we went upstream to look for a place to cross and we start walking downstream walking downstream and then in the it's dark now and in the moonlight we spot the boat in this back eddy and it's only about 30 yards from shore it broken loose and drifted down and I swam out there then and grabbed it and the front of that boat still bent up to this day just <laughs> so you got it though yeah 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 I did I got wow. it no problems 
and and I never even bothered to fix this like the bend in it i don't even know if you could but it's fine it it's character cool. anyways it's a reminder yeah, yeah was it that that it came like how to get unhooked did the anchor come undone or how did that yeah my I mean, there's a very strong case to be made that i have no business being in in out in the wilderness because i'm just a kind of a klutzy <laughs> i very bad situational awareness yeah <laughs> you know like there's an old cartoon you're probably way too young to remember called mr magoo i have no of him yeah yeah he's a blind dude or he's 95 percent blind and it's just him going through life thinking things are one way when they're <laughs> when yeah. they're very different just constantly getting into that's that's me in, in the and then you factor in that i do most of my hunting alone yeah with, in the back country some, with some pack llamas and my corgi yeah it's a miracle uh-huh. that something even worse hasn't happened so after all that we get back to camp and you'd think i'd be hyper vigilant after that the next morning those guys go off to hunt and i slept in because i already got turkey and i get up late in the morning and my plan is this is rimrock country so mm-hmm. the side the, the riverbanks will be these open meadows and then there'll be this really steep stuff that goes up to a bench mm-hmm. and i'm i'm gonna go up on that bench and glass so i for I'm what looking up, more turkeys yeah i'm look, looking for turkeys for your, for okay yeah yeah and this would allow me to look across the river and down and upstream just seemed like a good way to spend some time see if it because yeah uh, they were kind of they were kind of we kind of buggered them up pretty good in the place where we were camped and i climb up to the rim i from camp i see the spot it looks like a little pass where i can get through and i get up there to the to the base of the rim rock and where i thought I could get through it was way worse than I thought it was but there's a tree there there's several trees and I thought I think I can climb up that tree yep step okay. out under the rim I see and then go over and yeah, then yeah. go up <laughs> so I didn't even have a backpack with me I had a decoy bag that I had some snacks in and I put Smart. my dog in the decoy bag and we start up this tree and then I get on the rim rock and I put her in front of me on the rim rock and we start working our way up and the ground below us is a maze of jagged rock. <laughs> I remember commenting to myself several times, boy, if I was to slip off this thing, I would <laughs> likely die. you know it's like a 12 foot drop into this this like landscape of rock daggers yeah yeah you'd you'd just like be spiked you know yeah 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 yeah. and i'm pushing i'm picking her up setting up her up ahead of me then and then shimmying up a little bit and the next thing you know i'm going like i went from fine to i there is no doubt in my mind 
that I am coming off the son of a bitch. I've got trying to get my fingernails into it, you know. Oh and, yeah, that's a bad place mm, when you're using your fingernails. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sure enough, I come slapping off that thing and down into that. Did I go and somehow I miraculously survived? Although my left leg was in excruciating pain, and I didn't know what was going on, but Shifty, my dog, is still up on that cliff. Yeah. <laughs> so up the tree, up the tree, I go and I get back up but i'm not going to step out on that rock again i start yeah. calling her and she won't come to me she's just shaking kind of yeah. <laughs> just like terrified so like i'm gonna have to go all the way around this thing get up on top and then yeah. try to come down from the top and i start doing that and about 15 minutes later i get a call from my brother brother he's back in camp he's like why is shifty back in camp and why is she limping she had either fallen or jumped off there yeah we're still just like i have a lot of love in my heart for this little dog we did yeah. everything together it still breaks my heart to this day to think that she was so Freaked terrified out. or whatever that she jumped off there and then um uh i hung out up there for a couple hours and and I told them to hunt and they came up and got me because my, my, my foot was, it was my foot more, my ankle. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And now a year and a half, now, two years later, I think it was 21. Yeah. Now that I think about it, my, that foot is still not right. <laughs> so I, I just got to imagine shifty seeing some things just based on the fact that you told me that you took her out in a backpack for the, in the first place, just hunting. And then you took her up. Like I'm saying, I'm guessing shifty has been, been around the block shifty days. shifty has been with me when i've killed several elk she she has screwed me up royally a couple times she, but she's also saved my bacon a couple times by helping me track elk. yeah she's been with me every time i've gone turkey hunting for the last seven years she's she just with keep me. her still does she just lay down or how do you how do you work that out she kind of gets it she kind of, she'll still screw up once in a while. I was, I took this kid turkey hunting a couple of weeks ago and we're tracking these turkeys in the snow and the wind was coming towards us and we're getting pretty close. And I, I look down and I'm like, we're shifty. And I look up and I see her crest this little hill in front of us. And I see just turkeys just exploding up in the, yeah. you know, uh, so she's, but it's very rare. That was the first time she screwed me up in a couple of years. Did you train her to do this or did you just always take her out and then she just kind of figured out this is the deal? She's, she's kind of, fig she's just figured it out. Like I said, Was there growing pains? Still, like, did she ever like bark at the beginning and just you tell her not to or like, how did you make never it Never bark, never bark, never bark. Really? Early on in our hunting relationship, she... <laughs> This is the worst she ever screwed me up. It, I'm hunting elk and I'm walking along this trail and I look in, in front of me. This is a, it's a motorcycle trail. Mm -hmm. And I see these elk right up off the trail. And I'm like, oh, and I hadn't been in that area in a while. And I remembered, oh yeah, that's right. There's a mineral lick there. So I watched this little bull and a couple spikes and there were some cows. And 
they were chase the spikes were chasing these mule deer around this little cool. mineral lick and they after a while they fed off and i heard a bugle and i started going down the mountain towards this bugle and then i'm and then i started thinking dude don't there's a way better there's a pretty damn good chance that bull right is going to come right up here and so instead of going down there and spooking his ass why don't you just go sit by that lick and i did and 20 minutes later there's a dozen cows, some more spikes moved in, and that bull is coming. It's coming. Every time he bugles, it's louder and louder. So I have this like tree off the direction he's coming from right next to me. Mm-hmm. And now it's when he bugles, it's he's so close that I hear him inhale first. Ah, cool. He, and he comes around that tree. And he's at 35 yards, and I almost just shot him right then, but it wasn't quite right. And, but I'm kind of chuckling under my breath because mm-hmm. it's such a done deal. I mean, it's all over except the arrow. All right. And, and it would have been probably the nicest bull I've gotten with my bow. And when he comes in, he starts chasing those spikes around. And Shifty could ha- handle all of it just fine, but she can't, couldn't handle the, the chasing if there's gonna yeah. be chasing she needs to be involved i get it you know yeah. yeah and these three these two spikes and that bull get to 15 yards from me and he's facing me and i look down and she's halfway to me. <laughs> and even then it would have been fine if i would have just ignored her yeah i think it would have been fine they would have been like what's this weird looking fox without a tail you know yeah yeah, yeah. but i <laughs> I said, shit, shit, <laughs> and that bull just looked up and peered into my soul. Yeah, I know how exactly you know, that looked. And, yeah, and then he ran off. So there's been, yeah, there's been a, and then I did get, a, I did shoot a bull a couple of days later, but I had her tied to my backpack when that. It's just like it's kind of, stu- you know, it's kind of stupid, like, but I spend so much time out there by myself and she brings me so much joy that yeah. it's worth a, a screw up now and again yeah. and the screw ups have become few and far between us where i'm just telling you about like i said it's the first time she's screwed us up in a couple of years and it's your buddy you gotta bring your buddy i got a buddy who screws up all the screws up my hunting all the time I still oh really me. you know it's how it goes he's not here to defend himself so i can say whatever I he want. Uh, so he's he's just a, a situational awareness thing again or? I, I have well i actually i have a couple friends that are like that they just kind of like wander around they just don't really know what's going on okay yeah yeah Yeah. no that's funny i've always uh i knew that there was a um i think in one of the pictures or something you posted with your with your dog i thought that was pretty cool like i've got a dog that i i'll take you know he's great small game but like i've tried to take him deer hunting a few times and uh he'll see a deer and that's just it you know he's basically lost he's he's a hound so he's not uh-huh. gonna do a real good job of staying quiet. Right. Right. Yeah. So well I will I've always wished that there's two things I wish about dogs. I'm I'm a big animal guy. I got yep. I got these pack llamas and, and my dog. I, I have a barn cat. I just love animals. Mm. With the so I just can't imagine now. I most of my adult most of my life I didn't have a dog. But then I'm 52 now. I got my first dog as an adult, probably ten years ago. Mm, she okay. died pretty 
pretty young and now I got shifty. But, and I've been thinking, I would, there's two things that could make being a dog owner better. One would be if they could make one that lived to, lived 80 years. Yeah, that'd be nice. And they gave you it when you were a baby. And that yeah. was your dog through your whole life. Yep. I get on board nice. that. I mean, that, that could be hell if it turned out to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> you want a good like, dog. Yeah. <laughs> but if it was like some dog that's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Drooling all over the yeah. place. Yeah, that's <laughs> all. But like a dog like Shifty would be awesome. And then the other thing would be is if you were allowed a 10 minute conversation just once mm-hmm. where you get to say your piece for five minutes and they get to say <laughs> their piece for five minutes. Yeah. Could you imagine? <laughs> The things that would come out of that dog's mouth, especially after being with you for 80 years. Oh, I'd want to have this early in the, in the relationship. So yeah. We could learn from it. That's know? right. You can set some ground rules. You can explain some things, expectations, both both sides. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. Get the more that. you smell an animal, the more important it is for you to stay close to me. Yeah, that's right. Be- that's right. Exactly. Don't take off. Don't freak out. That's the time to really be calm and t- let me know if you smell it. You know, it'd be handy to know if I could smell a deer coming, you know, save me a lot of time. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Hey, I, I know we're, we're, we're coming up on time here, but I, I hey, that I, was two, that was two hunt, hunting stories. I'm an I know. overachiever. Well, I, I kind of figured you might be, I, I came in with that expectation. I didn't oh. want to tell you that. So it ruin it. You know, I'd basically be <laughs> directing you. So the fact that you did, you, I can check that off the list as uh, meeting every bit of uh, thing that I thought. So no, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, and, and actually, I wanted to give you a chance just to tell people where they can find more about you, find out more about you, follow you, um, figure out how they can help with with access issues, like especially the things that you've been thinking about. How, how can they do that? Yeah. So maybe there could be a Michigan chapter of Hunters for Access. Yeah. I, I love it. I have. More access is good. I I have, so there's a Kansas chapter starting off, mm-hmm. and I have several more podcasts. I think there's might be a Wisconsin chapter in the works. Okay. And then I have several, several more podcast episodes coming up. What I do is I try to find a hunter mm-hmm. to research, to find somebody from the agents, from the Fish and Game Management Agency from the state and get them to come on and then we have a discussion about how is there about the history of the program and opportunities for the sportsmen to grow the programs. Yeah. And, and, you know, that'd be one thing, maybe one of your listeners or you, you know, if you ever were inclined to reach out, find somebody from the half and have them come on, we could talk about the potential there. We've elaborated our website now to handle as many States as, Perfect. As, as possible, as people are, as interest allows, you know, I, I would, I'm at a point where if I had to give up my hunting advocacy or give up hunters for access, I'd give up the advocacy, hmm. no doubt about it. Hmm. You know, I don't know, maybe this thing has legs, maybe, maybe just with a little bit, it's like, you know what it is? I'm thinking it of as more more of the hunting community derives from urban centers, there's they're they're, they're disconnected from the landowners, right. you know, and this is a mechanism that 
kind of approximates the old way it used to work, where you help Farmer Smith with his haying, and he let you hunt. Right. Exactly. You know? Yep. So that's what I'm. That's what we're trying to do with this, and yeah. and I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a journey to see what the potential is there, but this sure seems like a a humdinger of an idea. And I can say that without tooting my horn because it's not my idea. It's a friend right. of my idea. Well, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm actually just put pulled it up now. The Hunter Access Program. We'll see if we can put you in touch with somebody from Michigan here and. Uh... Let you guys talk a little bit yeah well if we did it'd be good if you came on with us or somebody else from michigan a hunter yep. from michigan that hunts the property came on with us so. yeah ha absolutely happy to yeah yeah that could be a good thing could be a positive thing certainly sure. won't be a negative thing yeah no I, I how can that hurt anybody right yeah. you know no that sounds great well like i said thank thank you for for taking this time out of your your busy day i know you're up early and uh you know had a lot to do so i i do very much appreciate it and everybody uh, go check this out give them a follow um and stay up to date on this this stuff it's important it affects all of us as hunters that's right we're all connected yeah the more opportunity you have in michigan the less crowded it is in montana and vice versa yeah you know we I, we are all hunters in this country are connected mm -hmm. we really are and that's a big part of what the message i'm trying to send is look out for your fellow hunters mm -hmm. you know we're a community like look out for for one another you don't need to gobble up all the opportunity for yourself like we need to cultivate an attitude of sharing and yep. and concern for other other hunters if this taking is care thing. of each other yeah yeah if this is going to perpetuate into the future i think that that's going to have to be in play an important role we're gonna have to get over all this all this like division that, that, that that's infected every other domain in society and just rise above it as a community and try to look out for each other um, yeah agreed well you're doing a, a good work and we're, we're we appreciate you and, and um yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch for sure. Happy to help out how we can. Okay. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, James. Yeah, no, thank you. And um, everybody go check them out. Thanks for, again for listening. We're excited to keep telling these stories and, and, and doing more with you guys. So thanks again. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you want to go on to any kind of social media platform, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know, it really helps us out. Keeps the train rolling. And if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five-star Either way, if, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd Helps cool. everyone out. We'll see you out there.